Chapter 5, Part 2 of Pioneer Work in Opening the Medical Profession to Women by Elizabeth Blackwell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5, Part 2 Practical Work in America the following letters to my medical sister refer to this period of the work new york may twelfth i need not tell you with what interest and hope i look forward to your edinburgh news the prospect is very good one of the most difficult points i have to contend with here is the entire absence of medical sympathy the medical solitude is really awful at times. I should thankfully turn to any educated woman if I could find one. Pray bear in mind to collect all the information you can about maternity, the relation of the sexes, and kindred subjects. We have a vast field to work in this direction, for reliable information is desperately needed in the world on these topics. I feel as if it were peculiarly our duty to meet this want. There is much vain thought given to these matters here. An active set of people are making desperate efforts to spread their detestable doctrines of free love under scientific guise, placing agents with the advertisements of their books worded in the most specious and attractive manner at the doors of the conventions now being held here. On the other hand, equally misleading publications are brought out in opposition. Such teaching is utterly superficial and untrustworthy, and consequently misleading. We want facts— scientifically accurate observations, past and present, on all that bears on these matters. You remember the pamphlet sent me by Dr. Sims of Alabama. He is now here, determined to establish a hospital for the special treatment of women's diseases. He is enlisting much support, and will, I think, succeed. He seems to be in favor of women studying medicine. I think I shall help him in any way I can. I have at last found a student in whom I can take a great deal of interest. Marie Zakrzuska, a German, about 26. Dr. Schmidt, the head of the Berlin Midwifery Department, discovered her talent, advised her to study, and finally appointed her as chief midwife in the hospital under him. There she taught classes of about 150 women and 50 young men, and proved herself most capable. When Dr. Schmidt died, the American minister advised her to come to New York, but here the German doctors wanted her to become a nurse. In desperation, she consulted the home for the friendless, where they advised her to come to me. There's true stuff in her, and I shall do my best to bring it out. She must obtain a medical degree. July 24th. Don't be discouraged. There is no doubt about our losing many opportunities because of our sex, 
but you must also bear in mind the disadvantages all students labor under, unless in exceptional cases. Crowded together in masses, they only see at a distance the most interesting cases. The complete study is reserved for the physician or his constant attendant. I remember expressing my impatience while in the maternity at the restrictive rules there, and M. Blot said, What you wish for are only enjoyed by the few who occupy the most favored positions. Yet I gained, in spite of all difficulties, a great deal, and in accelerating ratio the longer I stayed. I remember that it seemed to me I had gained more in my fourth month at the maternity than in the whole three preceding ones. Now I say this because I don't want you to overestimate the worth of pantaloons. Disguise in France or elsewhere would by no means give you all you need. If the disguise were complete, you would just be reduced to the level of the common poor student, and would be, I think, quite disappointed. It needs also that influential men should take an interest in you, and give you chances quite beyond the ordinary run. I know that at St. Bartholomew's I would not have exchanged my position for that of the simple student— though I would gladly for the clinical clerk or interne's position. Now you can do nothing in France except by special medical influence. Your time is limited, and you cannot wait for examinations and promotions as an ordinary student. You ask me what I did and what can be done as a lady. I entered the maternity, dissected at l'école des beaux-arts alone, employed a repetiteur who drilled me in anatomy and smuggled me into the dead house of La Charité at the great risk of detection, where I operated on the cadavre. I once made the rounds of his wards in the Hôtel du with Rue, heard his lectures, and saw his operations. I attended lectures on medical generalities at the College of France and Jardin des Plantes. I believe that was all in the way of Parisian study. I applied to Davain, Director General of the Hospitals, for permission to follow the physicians, refused. Applied to Dubois and Trousseau, to attend lectures at the École de Médecine, refused. Trousseau advising me to disguise. You see, I had no introductions, no experience. I went into the maternity soon after going to France and came out with a sad accident, not inclined to renew the battle, not well knowing how, and with a promising chance opened to me in London. I should do differently now. I should get the most influential introduction I could. I should tell them just what I wanted, find which hospitals would be most suited to my purpose, 
and if by putting on disguise I could get either an assistance post or good visiting privilege, I would put it on. I don't believe it would be a disguise at all to those you were thrown with, but it would be a protection if advised by intelligent men and would make them free to help you. I should avoid crowds because you gain nothing in them. I don't think either the lectures at l'école de médecine or the great hospital visits, where from one to five hundred students follow, would be of any use. It is in a more private and intimate way, and in hospitals where many students do not go, that you might gain. I know no one in a position to give you more valuable letters than Dr. Simpson, if he is disposed to. You ask me what I saw at the maternity, but I find my notes imperfect. I have only noted down nine versions, etc. But I think the most important thing in the maternity is the drilling in the more ordinary labors, for only where the finger is thoroughly trained can you detect varieties. The cases you send me are very interesting and I am very glad you have made such full notes, as they will be useful hints in future solitary practice. Don't be in a hurry to leave, Dr. S., for I fear you will nowhere else find a good drilling in that department. I shall see how far I can make your notes available from time to time in my own practice. With regard to my own clientele, I shall have advanced $50 over last year. Slow progress, but still satisfactory, as it is reliable practice, not capricious success. Only think, the thermometer has been up to 102 in some of the rooms downtown. We have had three days' spells this July that seem to me a little beyond anything I have ever had to endure. November 13th. I shall be very anxious to know what you do in Paris. I almost doubt the propriety of your entering the maternity, or rather I hope that the necessity may be obviated by your finding other openings. That Dubois is somewhat of an old fox, and will, I presume, at once advise your entrance to get rid of any responsibility but I would not think of doing so until I had seen all the others and tried for better openings. I think you could get sufficient midwifery at the École de Médecine, where the midwives have the night cases. The association would be unpleasant from the character of the woman, but it would leave you your freedom. You have done excellently in Edinburgh, and nothing could be more satisfactory than the way you leave. I think, however, before going to Paris, you had certainly better see Dr. Oldham of Guise. He is disposed to be friendly, and, if he chose, might greatly help you. It would seem as if it would be well to pursue your English studies before the Parisian, if you could follow doctors Burroughs and Bailey in medicine at St. Bartholomew's and Oldham at Guy's, you would do well. 
I am very glad you are collecting special medical statistics. We shall find them very serviceable in lecture or pamphlet form. It will be necessary next year to make an active effort for the dispensary, and I think a few lectures would be very important. My conviction becomes constantly stronger that you will return, and my plans for the future all involve that fact. A pleasant circumstance occurred to my German, Dr. Zakarzuska. I arranged a Cleveland course for her, and she entered two weeks ago. She met a very friendly reception and found that Dr. Kirkland is in correspondence with Professor Mueller of Berlin, and he had mentioned her in some of his letters in such high terms that the faculty told her, if she would qualify herself for examination in surgery and chemistry and write an English thesis, that they would graduate her at the end of this term. Of course, she is studying with might and main, and will, I have no doubt, succeed. So we may reckon on a little group of three next year. That will be quite encouraging. November 27th. I cannot but feel glad that you rejected the urgent persuasions to go to the Crimea. I cannot say what going to Russia might have done for you in English reputation, but for America it would have been sheer waste of time. I am constantly surprised to see what an entire non-conductor of enthusiasm the ocean is and reputation in England, except in very rare cases, is utterly unavailing here. The radical differences in national character and the eager youthful nature of this people quite prevent full sympathetic transmission of feeling and recognition of older experience. I am vexed to think how completely unavailing your Scotch studies will be in the puffing line, but make yourself really strong, and we will turn them to the best account in another and a better way. Don't forget to bring a full, earnest testimonial from Simpson and from others as you progress. I'm delighted you are going to Malvern. Oh, those breezy uplands of our native isle. Is anything in nature so delicious as their air and freedom. My ride with Kay over the Welsh hills stands alone in my memory, and my slide with Howie down Malvern makes my mouth water. January 23rd, 1855. Your letter came yesterday, giving me an account of M's relapse and the many anxieties you have suffered lately. I confess to feeling an intense anxiety about her, notwithstanding the hope conveyed in your letter, and I shall look to the coming of the postman with dread for the next three weeks, lest he should bring me evil news. You have been pursuing your studies in a way we did not anticipate the last eight weeks, but very surely it is not lost time. The responsibilities of such a case will strengthen you for every future case, and as an illustration of or commentary on Dr. S.'s practice, I don't think it will be lost to you. 
The whole case from beginning to end strikes me as a horrid barbarism, but at the same time I fully allow that it is the way to make a reputation. M's death would be little to him. The responsibility would be staved off in a dozen different ways, and if she succeeded in her object, no end to the trumpeting of his praise. I see every day that it is the heroic, self-reliant, and actively self-imposing practitioner that excites a sensation and reputation. The rational and conscientious physician is not the famous one. I have just heard one piece of news which decidedly indicates progress and which is peculiarly cheering to me because I am persuaded that I have been chiefly instrumental in it. The New York Hospital has opened its doors to women this winter. There is now a class of eight women, all pupils from Dr. Trawl's Hydropathic Institute, who attend regularly the clinical visits and lectures in the amphitheater with all the other students. The matter was discussed in full board, Trimble and Collins both advocating, and it was resolved to make the experiment, doctors Smith, Buck, and Watson, and then attending physicians, being present and consenting, quite concurring in the principle, and only pleading the embarrassment they should themselves occasionally feel. Mr. Trimble assured them they would soon conquer their bashfulness. Thus far, it seems, there has been no difficulty. I consider the matter so important that I intend at once to take the hospital ticket and watch the experiment in person as closely as I can. I only wish the girls came from other than quack auspices. Do the knockings prevail at all in England? It is astonishing how they increase here. Judge Edmonds has published two large volumes, which are astonishing, I think, as a record of self-deception or credulity. The promoters hold public discussions in the tabernacle, publish endless literature, and have hired a large house in Broadway at $2,200 and Katie Fox at a salary of $1,200 per annum to give free demonstrations to whoever wishes to investigate the truth of this wonderful new revelation. I attended one of these free sittings lately at Mrs. B.'s invitation. It was a curious physical phenomenon to my mind of the animal magnetism order. My few questions were all answered wrong, but Mrs. B. and many others asked similar questions, the answers of which she knew, and they were answered promptly and correctly. Everyone who queried with eager temperament got prompt and correct replies, independent of Katie Fox's volition. It was odd, but quite disgusting in the view taken of it as an ultra-mundane exhibition. Establishment of a Hospital In 1856, my working powers were more than doubled by the arrival of my sister, Dr. Emily Blackwell, who became henceforth my partner and able co-worker. 
Dr. Maria E. Zakrazuska also joined us as soon as she had graduated at Cleveland and became for some years before her removal to Boston our active and valued assistant in the New York work. The refreshing Sunday walks taken with this warm-hearted doctor when, crossing the bay by an early ferry boat, we walked for hours in the beautiful environs of Hoboken or Staten Island, will always remain as a pleasant background to the affectionate friendship which still continues. Thus reinforced, an advanced step was made in 1857 by the renting of a house, number 64 Bleecker Street, which we fitted up for a hospital where both patients and young assistant physicians could be received. This institution, under the name of the New York Infirmary for Women and Children, was formally opened in the May of this year by a public meeting in which the Reverend Henry Ward Beecher, Dr. Elder of Philadelphia, and the Reverend Dr. Ting, Jr., warmly supported the movement. In this institution, Dr. Zakrazuska accepted the post of resident physician, Dr. Emily becoming chiefly responsible for the surgical practice. This first attempt to establish a hospital conducted entirely by women, excited much opposition. At that date, although college instruction was being given to women students in some places, no hospital was anywhere available either for practical instruction or the exercise of the woman physician's skill. To supply the need had become a matter of urgent importance. Our difficulties are thus noted in the annual report for 1864. But to this step, the establishment of a hospital, a host of objections were raised by those whom the early friends of the institution attempted to interest in their effort. They were told that no one would let a house for the purpose that female doctors would be looked upon with so much suspicion that the police would interfere, that if deaths occurred, their death certificates would not be recognized, that they would be resorted to by classes and persons whom it would be an insult to be called upon to deal with, that without men as resident physicians they would not be able to control the patients that if any accident occurred, not only the medical profession, but the public would blame the trustees for supporting such an undertaking, and finally, that they would never be able to collect money enough for so unpopular an effort. Through a cloud of discouragement and distrust, the little institution steadily worked its way, its few friends holding to it the more firmly for the difficulties it experienced. The practice of the infirmary, both medical and surgical, was conducted entirely by women. But a board of consulting physicians, men of high standing in the profession, gave it the sanction of their names. Dr. Valentine Mott, Dr. John Watson, Drs. Willard Parker, R. S. Kassam, Isaac E. Taylor, 
and George P. Kamen were the earliest medical friends of the infirmary. The pecuniary support of this institution, in addition to the medical responsibility involved in its conduct, was no small burden. For many years, its annual income rested mainly on our exertions. A bazaar was held in its behalf for seven years in succession. Lectures, concerts, and every other available means of collecting funds were resorted to. At one time, Fanny Kemble was giving a series of Shakespearean readings in New York, and often rendered generous help to benevolent institutions by the use of her great talent. We hope that she might aid our struggling infirmary by giving a public reading in its behalf. So, on one occasion, I called with our fellow worker, Dr. Zakrzuska, at the hotel where she was staying to prefer our request. She received us courteously, listened with kindness to an explanation of the object of our visit and the needs of the infirmary, but when she heard that the physicians of the institution were women, she sprang up to her full height, turned her flashing eyes upon us, and with the deepest tragic tones of her magnificent voice exclaimed, "'Trust a woman as a doctor? Never!' The thunderclap which thus smote us in the New York Hotel brought back amusingly to my mind the scene at Brighton, when the parlor doors suddenly opened and a brilliant figure in stage costume advanced to the gentle, refined Lady Byron with an impassioned quotation from Julius Caesar. The contrast between two women's natures was so remarkable. The necessity, however, of a separate hospital for the general training of women students had by this time been recognized. Experience both at the New York Hospital and at the large Bellevue Hospital, where classes of imperfectly trained women had failed to maintain their ground, proved that a special women's center was needed, not only as affording them practical instruction, but for the purpose of testing the capacity and tact of the students themselves before admitting them to walk the general hospitals where male students were admitted. The New York Infirmary for Women therefore gradually enlisted the active help of enlightened men and women. We were much encouraged by the kindly contributions of articles for our annual bazaars from English friends, and a generous-hearted French lady, Madame Trilla who felt much interest in the new medical movement, sent a donation to the funds of the hospital. The continued interest of English friends is shown by our correspondence. To Lady Noel Byron, New York, December 27, 1857. My dear friend, your kind interest in our hospital cheers me. Very few persons understand the soul of this work or the absolute necessity which lies upon us to live out the ideal life to the utmost of our power. My work is undoubtedly for the few. It is labor in the interlinkings of humanity 
and is necessarily difficult of appreciation by the mass of people, and is very slow in gaining their esteem. It has been a most toilsome lesson to translate my thought into the common language of life. I labor at this translation perpetually, and still remain too often incomprehensible. I will not degrade the central thought of this work, but I seek in every way to accommodate it wisely to the practical common-sense feeling of the people. My sister is a noble helper, and we shall stand, I trust, shoulder to shoulder through many years of active service. I shall have the pleasure of soon forwarding to you a report of our last year's proceedings. This will give the simple facts of our hospital life. Allow me to remain, with very true affection, your friend, Elizabeth Blackwell, 79 East 15th Street. End of chapter 5